We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Make Time for This, probably a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. We are back after our brief hiatus as we we lived it up in person. We got to know each other better. We watched a lot of live sports. We're here to talk about Succession, to talk about the first three episodes of the fourth season of Succession. And I mean... If you're here because you like Succession, you know that we're probably going to talk mostly about the third episode and everything that means for this, the entire show and how it's changed. So, join me as always, as you heard, he looks like he just caught a foul ball at Yankee Stadium, it's Andrew Snyder. Hello, Andrew. Buckle up, fucklehead. We're ready to do a Succession podcast. Uh, joining us, I'm delighted to say, is the one, the only, Jordan, don't turn him into a word, he's a guy, Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello, I don't have a succession catchphrase off the top of my head that I could cleverly put in here right now. That's okay, I made note of that one, because uh, it made me think of you for some reason. Don't turn him into a word, he's a guy. Um, you and Greg, uh, cult heroes, I think the people hold you up in a, a certain kind of pedestal. You know, Greglets, Tresklets, I feel like it's it could all be one and the same, so I'm I not going to make you into a word. You're, I, can, I can confirm, you were very much a guy. I, I met you in person last week. And it's a compliment, but I think we all say that we'd castrate and marry you in a heartbeat, Jordan. That's that's <laughs> something that, you know, we hold hold close to our hearts. Thank you. Uh, this is the best show on television. I think it's safe to say that is not a revelation. I think it's been pretty much a consensus for quite a while. Is anyone going to push back on that here? Are we all in agreement? I know we've got different experiences watching. Andrew, I feel like you're there from pretty much season one. Um, or if you dropped off, you probably caught up early enough anyway. And Jordan, you were you were a latecomer, which you are to a lot of popular culture. 
but you really got in once once you finally listened, once you finally took the plunge, and I know you've enjoyed it a lot since. So we'll start with you, Andrew. What's what are your thoughts on succession? Where are you at on succession enthusiasm? Is really what I want to put to you. Um, I mean, you know, for me to just be like really excited about a television television show, I have to really, really love it. I watch a lot of I've watched a lot more TV than I realized. Uh, I've noticed lately, but it's a lot of things that I don't really like all that much. Uh, whereas Succession, it's appointment viewing uh, for me every week. I, I watch live often or, uh, you know, just shy of live as. Adam and I got to watch episode two together in Milwaukee. That was, you know, a really formative bonding experience for us that we'll treasure for a long time. Not the uh, the Oriental Theater where we saw a thousand and one, not all the Brewers and Bucks games. It was watching Succession uh, while eating snacks in uh, in double beds in a Fairfield Inn. Uh, so that's all double to say. Beds, yeah, well, double beds, plural. We are not like Bert and Ernie, just to not to <laughs> shatter anyone's kind of illusion of the pod dynamic here. Uh, yeah, no illusion shattered, but, um, I think I got in like mid season two or it was, or it was right before three. I think it was two, but uh, I, yeah, I think it was two. Um, and I caught up on season one and, and binged it and then, uh, got into two and it's consistently the funniest show on television. I'm, I'm never not just cackling at several things across the course of an hour. They've got these characters that are just so drawn so well and in a real way that I think does not happen a lot these days when you're talking about characters in this very hyper-rich lane. Like we talked about the menu triangle sadness and things of that ilk, and it just creates cartoon characters. Whereas we've got these uh, cynical, out-of-touch, to-a-degree evil people playing this uh, corporate chess game but there's also enough shreds of humanity weaved in that they just become these complex character studies. Uh, mixing that in with the the patriarchal figure, Logan Roy and Brian Cox is just like like magnetic performance. And then all the writing and the direction, like we said, it just creates something that's just must-see television and unlike anything we've got going right now. And I've just been looking forward to season four since season three ended. Um and so far, it's not disappointing at all. Jordan? I, on the other hand, binged seasons one through three not long after the season three finale because I kept seeing, oh, like, you know, you know for, for lack of a better word, shit's finally going down. That was kind of the... Uh, uh, gist that I got from being an outsider. Then I quickly submerged myself in everything succession. And I was like, oh, that's where that comes from. And then you'd find out like all these different things that are associated with the show and not, um, you know, just people talking internet talk. Um, so it has given a different experience for me where. I try, as I get older and as things just become more ubiquitous on streaming services and stuff like that, I have tried to, 
you know, diligent. Adam knows this very well. I have tried to diligently not binge things and actually reward it like it's a TV show because things get blurred very quickly. You'd lose like, why is this person doing this? Oh, it's because of that. Like, part of that is like, I don't know. I I like living with things and like, oh, like what's going to happen in the next episode? That thing happened. You know, I'm not going to do like a season one spoiler, but when Kendall's going for his coup and trying to oust his dad and seeing that backfire as grand of a spectacle as that was like succession is kind of the show where like it is not as much as people probably at this point have caught up to through binge watching i find it to be like i'm good after one episode i can't overdo it because it a lot of those episodes obviously is just like heavy it's not like it's not something to be like oh let's go to the next one and like let's see how this thing goes it's like i feel like it's one of those shows that that as much as you know it's part of this era and um and a huge hit for hbo i just don't think it's like a it's a show that's made for week to week building suspense seeing when you know, the season wraps up and seeing when the, the big shoes drop because they sure pack quite the punch as we, you know, now coming after Sunday night. <laughs> yeah, I I want to double down on what you just said because I agree completely and we now both have the experience of we watch these all one after the other and now, at least for me, the last few years have been living week to week and letting episodes kind of wash over me and process them. And I think it's so good for that. And even like you got time before the the next episode, give it a rewatch and see wh- what you missed uh, on the last one. That's what I did for episode two. Unfortunately, did not get around to doing that for episode three. But uh, there was a time in my early 20s uh, where I thought I was smarter than I am um, and uh, would kind of do that with with Mad Men during the final few seasons. Um, and this is the, the first show since then that I felt the same way about in that, like, I really just need to process each episode. Um, Game of Thrones was appointment viewing, but I don't know that I was really just in there, like really, uh, you know, feeling the tits and dragons or whatever was going on. But uh, yeah, with succession, uh, uh, every F bomb, you know, just swirls around in, in my brain for a week. It is the oldest of the old school shows left on TV. I mean, it is very much, HBO have that going for them for anything that they release through traditional HBO rather than Max that you still have the week to week and I think they still understand it and even more gradually I think we've seen a lot of the streamers come to understand that model Disney for example for any of their kind of big Star Wars Marvel shows they've gone week to week um, and I think have when things are good they have certainly reap the benefits of that of letting it build of one because in part of this too and even when you launch a new show i think there's this kind of feeling that oh you got to give two or three episodes so people binge the first few and then they know they're in or like they really don't because there is something even with a new show if it's like you know three weeks go by people start to really like it and they tell their friends about it well then there's just three episodes for someone to catch up on and then you're you're there for the ride um amazon have started to do a lot of this although their own variations they do kind of two week three week the one exception really that is not going that route most of the time is netflix 
Um, and to me, it doesn't it doesn't help them in any way. Um, I've just started watching Beef, the new Netflix show, and ten episodes being there for me right from the jump does not do anything to inspire me. Um, even more so when you do find yourself, oh, they're 30, 35 minutes. I'll watch a couple. I watched a couple and wasn't overly inspired. And rather than that just being, oh, you know, I'll check back in for 30 minutes next week. What have I got to lose? With all of the rest of it in front of me, I'm like, okay, I haven't been crazy about that. Am I ready to put down five hours to keep going with it? And I mean, the ultimate irony of this is, like succession is what tv is as a medium it's exactly what it was designed for i guess the one exception is it's it's an hbo show so it's not designed to have commercials in the middle of it there's no ad breaks built in you're not writing around that but other than that it is tv in the most traditional way possible which is you're telling your story episodically and those episodes matter they're not something that the audience can decide to bypass and reshape how the story is told these are options that weren't previously there, and I think there's a convenience to it, and maybe people saw the convenience even more so when the quality of shows coming out from streamers was maybe a little bit better than it's been the past couple of years, or it felt like there was a lot, and you know, we just couldn't miss out, so it was convenient to be like, okay, well, there's six episodes of that show, well, we can do that in an afternoon, or we can do that in an evening, and that's on to the next show, where there has been a slowdown. I think it's been the world of TV. This is not the first time this conversation has been had on this particular podcast has become kind of more disparate and diluted and I guess niche than ever before where, yeah, everyone might have their favorite show that they think is the best show on TV. But generally, if you ask 20 people that you might get at least 10 to 12 different answers as to what that is. Succession in delivering itself in a very traditional television way, I think it's cut true to a point where it's kind of the consensus king. And with that then, I guess what's interesting is it's reached a point, probably I would say with season three, um, but certainly now where it is at its absolute peak of cultural influence of viewing figures of worth to HBO, really. And yet, Jesse Armstrong coming into the season decided, this is it. We're finishing with four. Um, I'm going to be increasingly interested to see as the season plays out what that looks like, because from what he has said so far, it seems like they finished shooting the season and he decided, you know what? That's that's it. That's good enough. Um, So we'll see... That screams out to me that this might not be an ending that will satisfy everyone because you might have some people being like, hey, that's not an ending. What kind of ending's that? Not everything's wrapped up in a way that usually will irritate Andrew and I. Um, but, so, but it's okay, Jordan. You'll have plenty of opportunity to speak in a moment. The one thing I will say with episode three, undoubtedly we are putting the end game of the show. The show called Succession. And really, for many of the detours and the politicking and the gamesmanship that's taken place along the way, it's one thing this show started out as being, and I think it seems like we're going to finish up as being that too. So at this point, I will say, one, if you don't watch Succession, 
I don't know why you're here. Just go watch Succession or just listen to something else. You've listened this far already. I mean, appreciate that. But you should really watch it, would be my advice. If you watch Succession, you have yet to see Connor's Wedding, the third episode of season four. Um, Spoilers ahead. I don't know how it's not spoiled (laughs) for you already. I have never, ever seen a shorter time frame where big publications were not just flat out spoiling the major, major, don't want to say twist, but, you know, development reveal in a show. So if somehow you do watch Succession, you've not watched the most recent episode and you've got this far without being spoiled, get out of here. We're not going to be the ones who take the blame for being spoiled on you. So from this point on, we shall be speaking freely. Locking All right, Jordan. Do, do you want to come in with whatever you had there? And then, well, I was gonna say the Los Angeles Times read an obituary. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think Vulture did too. Vulture, Vulture just threw out a like a a photo, like a yeah, like a in memoriam photo on like Monday morning, like maybe Monday by midday, and you're like, this is not. It's I, look, I we, was... could, we could get sidetracked on that because this has increasingly become a thing. I've had this happen to me with things before. Andrew will know this is a crippling anxiety I have with movies when the release schedule will drastically differ from yep. time to time between the US and Ireland. Generally, it doesn't happen for major blockbusters where you're going to have to worry about this kind of thing. But sometimes you'll get a two-week break. It happens more often with kind of pretty notable filmmakers that can give a good example uh, Bo's Afraid, the new Ari Aster film, which is out in the US on Friday, I've got like a five to six week wait for that, which at that point, like that film is going to have moved into full on, oh, we're memeing it up on Twitter territory. And I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do about it? So I think that all that stuff is... Adam is afraid. That's all that stuff sucks. Know. I really... Even even I'll have seen it. That's an upset and a half. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna make you go and see it like next week, just to make sure you have seen it by the time I see it. So we I'm, can do. I'm a doing. I'm doing the uh, air. Bo is afraid. Double feature. So don't you worry. Oh, that's that's a long one, but that's gonna be fun. Um, yeah, I to your point, Jordan, on that, I just that's some bullshit. I'm I'm glad all of the all of the brands are so so invested in being cool and taking part in the water cooler discussion on the most popular show on television. But that's really not it. I feel like that's even a step beyond. I know you didn't watch Game of Thrones, Jordan, but you will know that like regularly notable characters would die in Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was famous for pretty shocking deaths or episodes that would just level half the cast. It didn't go down like that online or in media i feel like even that two to three years ago where i was really just like i and again i believe jesse armstrong specifically screeners did not go out to everyone for this episode and those who did get access were specifically warned one obviously not to say anything but two not to do that you need to watch this episode live which People were doing, and I saw someone doing that, and I dropped into our group, our GSVN group, and I was like, look, I've just, it seems ah, like this is an yes. episode that yes. we want to watch live or stay offline, which you you stayed offline for a little while, Jordan, until you could do that. 
which in itself, like its own right, I was like, this is kind of, this is like saying something's going to happen. And I was going in thinking something's going to happen. At the same time, it's better than the alternative of like, I don't know, 20 minutes after the show finishes opening Twitter and being like, can't wait to fire up Succession. And it just being right there on your timeline. I don't know. There's no winning with this stuff, but I think that urge to be first, uh, big trades, so sidetracked already. Variety are really guilty of this always. They'll put up some sort of generic tweet caption, and then the spoiler will just be in the preview title of the article in the thumbnail. And you're just like, oh, fantastic, great. What? Oh, I know what the movie that this this happened to me for you probably remember this Andrew because I was annoyed about it on a podcast at the time I don't remember go ahead uh, spoilers for the Batman for anyone who hasn't seen it or hasn't oh, you know isn't aware yes. of the wider conversation but the the movie was the day the movie came out and I had tickets booked for like two days later I was working and Variety had like articles up where the t- the thumbnail preview would read like about Barry Keown being the Joker. I'm like, Barry Keown's the Joker? What? Jordan, I'd probably spoil that for you because I know you haven't seen the Batman, but you oh, may have, have heard seen, of that. I have seen it. Oh, you have? Okay. I, th- I, I think uh, you handled it. You handled it the right way, Adam, for your, your friends and, and giving us that heads up because I got to tell you, if I had learned about that episode... From Vulture's headline, I would have been as mad as all those well. people yeah. that all the all those idiots that thought the election was stolen. I would have been like, "We used to be a proper country." That's how I would have felt if I had learned about it from Vulture. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, well, let's let's get to... Let's get to what happened and to the episode itself. Logan Roy died. That's what happened. Um, we were all set up for Connor's wedding in what I thought was a very nice bait and switch because it's very traditional succession to one have a wedding. I feel like this is at yes. least the third wedding. Um Shiv, that we've Shiv Shiv and Tom in season one. Um what were we in Italy for last year? The mom's a wedding. I figured her name. Yeah, Logan's ex-wife. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. And there may be another one in there. That we're I was going to say, there feels like another one back here. It's, it's kind of part of the show and part of the criticisms of the show that are never particularly loud, but they do bubble up. It's like 
part of the challenges Jesse Armstrong and his writers have to bend over backwards to get these people in a room together as often as possible. And particularly when the show demands that they also be at loggerheads and they're very much, you know, battle lines are drawn and they're enemies for a lot of the show, but you still need to force them together because that's what your show feeds on. That's what the drama that's at the center of the show feeds on. So I think Connor's wedding just seemed like, okay, this is going to be a big episode anyway, because it's the kind of episode where big developments would take place. We all went in very aware of at where the the sale was at and some of the complications potentially arising there, Logan trying to finalize the sale. But very, very quickly, about 15 minutes into the episode, Tom calls Roman after failing to get Shiv to answer his calls a couple of times and informs him that his father is very unwell. He is very ill. And Logan, honestly, at that point, is already dead, right? I mean, Tom plays it nicely, but I think it's pretty clear he's already dead. So not only does he die off screen and that we only briefly see Brian Cox once, and that's when Shiv is um, on the phone and the phone is put to his, to his head when he's getting chest compressions on the plane. But we actually... He he has died even more off screen than that because he has died most likely before Tom even picked up the phone. That is a bold swing, and I must talk through everything attached to that. Where I want to start, I brought this up in our private GSPN group the other day to pull back the curtain just a little bit for the listeners. That I saw this coming. Like to me, this was very obviously going to happen in the next couple of episodes. Andrew and I talked about this when we watched episode two together of, I, I honestly thought in episode two, he might've just had a heart attack up on those stacks of papers when his eyes were bulging out of its head and he was screaming. He had that conversation with the afterlife with Colin, which was either that was episode one. Episode one. Um, and to me, it felt like very obvious that it was set up. That was going to happen soon. And beyond that, Again, the show just demands it. It's called Succession. I think the reason Kendall escapes his like almost certain death is purely because you can't really have one of the kids die before Logan. It doesn't it doesn't make sense because what would that do to how Logan views his kids if one of the kids he had fallen out with had died before he could make peace? Might change who he is as a character. Might change how Roman and Shiv and maybe even Connor view their father. So the show was always going to come down to Brian Cox had to go. And it couldn't be a matter that Logan dies in episode nine and we just get one episode and it all clicks into place. This is a show about succession and even beyond the family, we've got enough prominent characters within the company who are going to be jostling for position and really all of the drama, all of the excitement, and all of the laughs are going to come from us having significant runway to watch all of these fools essentially fall over each other to try and position themselves for the top job or top jobs in whatever this new look, Waystar Royco, or I don't know. Uh, Waystar Royco Gojo? It could be Gojo. It could be Pierce Media or whatever that's called, although... Uh, 
don't know if they'll have the money for that sale with the value falling off the Waystar Royco right now. So, to me, this was not a surprise at all. Now, we'll get to how they actually did it in the episode, which I think is surprising because most shows just aren't ballsy enough to kill off a character that prominent like that in a way that is honestly as effective and interesting as it played out to be. Um, but I'll go to you first, Jordan, because I have spoken about this in person with Andrew ahead of time. Did this stun you? I was accused, I'll name names, I was accused by Ty and I believe Numak weighed in on just being like, <laughs> oh, you know, we're not all like Mr. Movie, Mr. TV show. I'm not someone who predicts things because I, I don't, I guess I watch things in a more engaged way than being like, yeah, I bet this is going to be the twist. That's not really my thing. Um, but I just, this is inevitable. This is when you say this is the final season of the show, this is the domino that has to fall early in the season. And Logan has had many close calls. He's been a little bit more amped up in the last few episodes. A lot of high-stress situations. And at his age, kind of made sense to me. Um, To your point, did not see it coming this episode but knew it was the shoe they had to drop because you can't effectively land the plane without the old boy, the old man croaking. Um, so I was definitely caught off guard um, in the manner it was handled, but not the overall, you know, bird's eye view of it. If you're looking at like how the story progresses and stuff like that. And to your point, like, where everything was, it's like you can't be the dead horse of like, oh yeah, the kids really hate Logan still, and they're they're still up to their hijinks and like trying to take him out from the outside or whatever the case may be, or like they're starting to get infiltrate with like the episode before both Shiv and Kendall are interacting with people that hinge on the sale of Roy or merger, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, so and, it's and like, Rome, Roman was being brought back into Logan's inner circle, too. So we've yes. got all sides covered. So it was like, okay, it's either like the same things that keep happening are going to keep happening, or it's like, okay, it's this paradigm shift where you take out the main, the the solar system or the sun, I guess, and then it's everybody else fending for themselves and trying to, trying to figure out, uh, you know, as you mentioned, just it's them trying to vie for jobs or of the ultimate power um so yeah i was not prepared for him to go this early in the season but it like if you just really think about things like to your point too of like the episode or of the time that he was in the season already he was very much like that everything's changed around me look at my kids i've given them everything and they don't you know accept everything in return and it's like that kind of just like very isolated um, living that he wasn't really going to shake anytime soon. Um, and I just think, you know, you can only tell that story for so long because by and large, like you would be kind of repeating yourself as the series has gone on. Because I know I listened to some of the the watch with Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan, and they were talking about like how it mirrors the start of the show where Ro Logan's has its health problems. And it's like stuff like that, like Breaky Bad always is going to end with Walter White 
gets diagnosed with cancer and sees him at the at, in the pilot, and then he goes five seasons or whatever, like how many years that was that that show. He's going to die. Spoilers no, for Breaking Bad. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> um, Welcome, but like Jordan Vulture Tresky out here. Yeah, just... Walter White was a, an, an exceptional chemistry teacher at unnamed high school. I can't remember what it was. Albuquerque, Albuquerque High School, the only high school in Albuquerque. But yeah, that that's where my that's where my point stands. I'm like surprised it happened this early in the season, but not surprised that it happened at all. I guess if that sums up my point. Andrew, yeah, and I think it, it was the only move that makes this show, um, I guess, stick to its like the truth of it itself without being formulaic and repeatable because like jordan said it's like okay uh one of the siblings is trying to stage the coup oh now all of them together and there are a bunch of episodes of them coming at the king and then missing <laughs> so to speak and if they missed again or or whatever what are, what are you left with instead this just drops a giant atom bomb into the lives of all of these people and i think What's going to be so fascinating to see what the writers have come up with and how it plays out over the final seven episodes is what it does to their motivations and how it changes their motivations and their ambitions shifting away from one another, I would say. We even see I mean, things like with um, Frank and uh, Jerry and uh, Caroline. Uh, Caroline or Carolina? I can't remember. Carolina. Like, it's, it's an ecosystem that's so much larger either than just Kendall, Shiv, Roman, and well, I'll say Connor just to be nice. Um, but like it, this ecosystem needed this disruption to get us to an end game that I think um, feels like it, it it served out what it set out to do, which is the succession, and then the the Logan Roy is the like you said, sun in this solar system. What happens if the sun just burns out? What are the other planets going to do? And uh, I think it was, like you said, a bold move in the way they did it. And I think it was the right move from a storytelling perspective. And even though you and I had this conversation, Adam, uh, from the aforementioned double beds, uh, that this is something we were anticipating over the next episode or the next few episodes, it still landed with a degree of shock that just kind of like that whole sense where your whole body's tingling and you don't know why when you're watching something that's like, uh, like really gripping you. So... Uh yeah, that's my long-winded way to say yeah. Saw it coming, still landed. Yeah, well, I I honestly think part of that might be, and maybe they overestimated this somewhat because I I do think if ever there's a show where the showrunners are actively ahead of the audience, it might be Succession. Like I just think the show is that well written, but they also treat the audience with the utmost respect and is very very smart. Where it to me it felt like. There was probably some element in the room of, yeah, everyone knows we're going to have to kill Logan soon. So how do we do that in a way that people aren't going to expect? And it is just, oh, a phone rings 15 minutes into an episode and he's dying off camera. And instead, what we're left with is the emotional reactions of the children. And we're left with kind of the plotting beginning in the next room on the plane as they're still trying to resuscitate him. Like, I I think it's a really 
really one a mostly impactful way of doing it but also very kind of very concise and a real kind of momentum builder a catalyst where immediately all of the pieces have to fall into place where the kids are really hit hard by this in a way that I don't think should be surprising at all but also they're not the easiest people to get a read on where they're at emotionally they're all pretty chaotic i think at the best of times and getting a sense of how they would process this news is always going to be something that's a challenge and yet when you see it happen you see oh well they're taking it really badly they're taking it as badly as any normal person would which i think is very intentional they're left completely powerless by how he dies they're just like any other person when someone around them dies but i think even more than that the line that Roman gives to him, which is one of the funnier lines, although it comes at a very sad point in the the episode, when Roman is on the phone and he's he's saying his final words, or he's at least trying to say something to Logan, and when he says you're a monster and you just win, that's what you do. That that's the Logan problem, and that's also why you have to be killed off right now because he does just win and he outsmarts these people over and over again. And his final comments to his children was that he loved them, but, you know, I can't remember exactly what it was, but... They're not serious people. They're not serious yeah. people. And I think what the show needs is to remove the winner from the equation and just leave all the losers to battle it out and see who comes out on top. Like, that's really what it's been all along. But I think we're at the right point even for all those characters that's part of it, which I guess just gets lost, but also that I admire because this hasn't all been just the Armstrong has been quite open about it. This hasn't all been mapped out as some kind of master plan from episode one that, you know, in episode three of season four, which I have already outlined, that is the point where we will kill Logan. The whole show has been very fluid and I don't know when HBO first aired this, if anyone inside that company imagine it becoming one of their biggest hits and their biggest hit at a given moment and running for four seasons and then being disappointed to be told that it's going to finish at four seasons but I think for example where Kendall is now and with everything we've seen Kendall go through this is this is the right moment this is the right moment for Logan to die and be like okay Ken maybe you could do this maybe you're best equipped to do it is of these children who knows Now's your chance. But for us as the audience to really have the full breadth of that, the full scope of, oh, these are all the ways this could go wrong because this is what we know about Kendall. This is what we know about all the issues Kendall has had, continues to have all the demons he continues to battle in his life. Like, I think the overall balance is really, really strong. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned Frank and Jerry as kind of figures looming. Don't leave a Carl like that. That's not nice to leave a Carl. Uh, but Tom, I mean, Tom is maybe the most significant person who, outside of the siblings, and I guess now technically outside of the family, not not officially, but uh, you know what? We'll see. We'll see exactly how that plays out. Cousin Greg, I mean, Cousin Greg is only as much in the family as Tom would let him be. Um, and as much as, you know, Logan maybe wanted to pander in the very weird relationship he had with his brother who 
absolutely despise them and they despise each other back. I'm very, very excited to see how all this develops. Um, because I honestly, I don't know. And where I could say I knew this was going to happen. I have a tough time making predictions of where it will go from here. I have my own opinions, my own feelings, but there's nothing that I will say with real confidence. And I think that is also a testament to the show that all of these people feel both legitimate and laughable as contenders in various ways that this could all play out in a whole bunch of different scenarios. With that, I guess let's start looking ahead a little bit. Jordan, if I was to put you on the spot, which I know is not the kind of situation you thrive in, and I was to force you to lay out how you see succession finishing up, how you see the succession within the company working out, who is going to prove to have been the true heir to Logan's throne, what would your answer be? Well, I don't want to have my allegiance to Tom uh, sway me too much, but he is the person of certainly if he's in the group of the kids that has made the biggest leap or climbed the the ladder the biggest. Whereas like the cluster of Jerry, Carl, Frank, and who am I missing? Someone else. Not Hugo. He's more of like a Hugo's more like a PR guy, right? Or, right. Or well, he's like an assistant or something. He's more like yeah. a PA, I'd say. Carolina's head of PO. Carolina. I feel like. Yes. Yeah. But she, she doesn't feel, until this episode, I would not have put her in quite the string pulling. But I guess, hey, you know, if you're if you're quickest on your feet. Uh, she wasn't even you, in. You're on the plane. Like, you've got the the old bumbling guys around you. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay. Let he, me take control of this here. He took the punch best out of anyone on that plane. I'll say that. Yeah. She was. Uh. Yeah. She. I think she was preparing for that day. That was. That was basically like how she interacted with it. We can't forget Carrie she, too. She definitely had one statement on a laptop somewhere that oh, she course. had ready, and you know. She may have yeah. supplied the LA Times with the obituary. Yeah, I mean, she called uh, Kendall or one of the three of it getting leaked out and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I have such a weird, maybe because of my experience of just watching the show, that I really don't have like, and again, you as you mentioned, it's foolish to kind of like, yeah, that's how it's going to end. Cause it's like, they have not as but the moment that you start to figure out things like, Oh, this is where it's going to be going. Look at where this is going. Like it does not happen that way. It's and partially that is a Logan Roy, um, uh, centric show where he's always the guy that has the answers. He's always like, just when you figured him out, he crosses you right back kind of thing. So from that point, it's like it does feel like it's going to be total anarchy and all that stuff. On the other side, it's like I think there's as much room for someone that isn't a Roy 
to be picked. Sure. And that's where someone like Tom that threads the needle. I mean, the even the way that, as you mentioned, Logan probably has been dead for at least five, ten minutes. And he it's not even outright said until probably half hour in to the point where I'm like, when this is all unfolding and that scene is they're in the the part of the boat where it's it feels like it's like a central room or it's like a or not a central room, but it's like a wing off. And they're not showing anything. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be like one of those classic, like they're trying to get the kids into something, like throw them off the scent. Logan's going to meet the Swede, as he called it. Um, Everything like that. So the way that everything was handled and Tom is not even just saying that your dad is dead. You say like, um, they're doing chest compressions, but like still kind of like softening it enough where you know, there's still a chance, there's still a chance, and they, they have to ask Frank, they have to ask someone else on on the flight besides Tom Bell is like, is he actually dead kind of thing like that? Where, like, I don't know. Tom is just very, very much like he threads that needle of of clumsily getting to the point, but he's, he's also, I think he, like, obviously we've seen a lot change with Tom, he's not what you see. He is probably the nicest guy on the show. Like, he is Am I right in saying that Tom is from Minnesota? Wasn't that a thing? Yes, like yes, he, yes. he is he is Midwestern nice, Jordan. He's mm-hmm. he's delivering that phone call in a way that none of those New Yorkers would have delivered it. Exactly. He's I, the, I don't know. He's, okay. he's the ultimate politician kind of way to do it. He's a chameleon. Yeah. Very much so, which a lot of the others are not. Mm-hmm. Um even Tom's ability to be so feeble and be I don't know this kind of punching bag for Logan or for Shiv and yet to then have a punching bag of his own with Greg and I guess his little Greg Lutz that is that is an example I think of the way that Tom moves through the space and maybe understands it I'm I'm inclined to agree with your feeling on Tom. And my feeling was with Tom a lot of the way going into this series. I just think he's maybe the savviest operator of everyone on Logan, which is not not saying a whole lot. Um, but it, it felt like he was having real success. He was also about to get even more power if Logan hadn't just died, right? Because Sid was Logan had said that Sid was about to be fired, which Sid was Sid about to fired, be fired. Jerry was about to be fired. Like ATN was going to be completely Tom's, and it was already getting to that place. But he was going to have full, full purview of ATN, and even kind of the walk and talk to the plane. It's like Tom has become Logan's guy. Like, does he like Tom? No, no. But he clearly recognizes. Okay, this person is valuable to me. Um, I can't help but read into the conversation that when we saw it happen was very much framed through Tom seeing that he was about to be divorced from Shiv, but I think may, may now even apply more so with Logan dead, where he talks to Logan about, you know, are we good? And if this was to happen, where do I stand? And Logan's response was, well, if we're good, we're good. I think that is probably some foreshadowing, and obviously we have Tom scrambling to delete files off computers and that kind of thing too. 
Tom may well work it out and find a way to keep climbing or hang in there. But if Shiv doesn't bring him back into the fold in some way, I think it's tough. Tom might be out of allies. That's that's the whole subtext behind the phone call that Matthew McFadden just delivers so perfectly because he's grieving a man who maybe didn't like him but respected him, and he's grieving what that means for his career potentially. And so you can see the wheels turning in his head about what do I have to do next? And then obviously he's also empathetic, sympathetic, whatever it may be to his brother-in-laws and his estranged wife, whatever we're calling it. So there's a lot going on there for Tom and he's uh, uh, he's got a lot to think about moving forward. I mean, if you, I've, I've thought about this a lot and I've kind of just like broken it down. I mean, you've got the siblings, you've got Kendall who... Who knows if if he's ready for this sort of swing again to put himself back into the game to be the uh, uh, the big dog. I mean, he, he seemed pretty, you know, all in on this side quest where he's going to create Substack plus Google plus whatever. He, he uh, you know, he's, he's an innovator disruptor in the media space. Um, what will this do to his addiction is another thing that I kept thinking about during this episode because like times of great stress, what what has happened to him in the past. And that's something to to keep on keep in mind. Shiv, Adam, you and I had a conversation about this uh, in the hotel about how she throughout the series has presented herself as the most put together of all of the Roy's. But she's the most ahead of her skis in a lot of different moments. Um, then you got she's, Connor, the, she's the least she's the least put together. She's the one that on the surface you're like. Well, this is the obvious choice because, I mean, she's just not the obvious outward mess that Kendall and Roman are. But actually, what at least what you're seeing with them is kind of the whole package. Like, you're mm-hmm. seeing the mess and you know the extent of what you're dealing with. With Shiv, it is so chaotic. And she just she gets it wrong every time. Every time there's a chance to do something, every time there's a decision to be made, she gets it wrong. And honestly, including, I think she... including, honestly, the like the breakup oh of her marriage with Tom at this point, strategically, is getting yeah. it wrong because those two together, united front, you come out on top. The company is going to be in your hands collectively. You know where the bodies are buried as a couple if you're Tom and Shiv at this point. Even the way that she's like, it was funny not to like, I know we're looking in the future, but like, each of them, how they're reacting to their father's death, and they all run the gamut of emotions and the five steps or whatever that is. But it was like, it's not surprising to see how Kendall reacted. It was not surprising to see how uh, Roman reacted. When shit was like, can we have like them like circle so we could buy time? And I'm just like, what is what? What? What are you talking like, about? Like, like Kendall has to be the one that's like you know in in any court uh, manuscripts or in in memoirs written about this day. What we decide now will always be how we acted when our father died. When it's, Kendall yeah. has to come out with that, that's that's saying something. Yeah. Sorry, Andrew. Um, I think you you had more. Yeah. Just. Uh... Yeah, all the things that you said about Shiv. I mean, she would be very well served to repair whatever damage is done to her and Tom's relationship because she needs someone that's a little more savvier than her in the moments that are about to come. 
Connor's focused on maintaining that one percent, and I, I actually think the the wedding and the uh it's going up. Uh, the, I think he's gonna trend up. I think Connor could do okay. Uh, I think the the honest moments between him and Willa in this episode were actually very sweet. Uh, uh, as weird as that as that sounds, there. Uh, I'm not I'm not a con head like a lot of people. I lo- I love Connor. I, I am decidedly if we're if we're going one of one a Wams games guy through and through. Um, but yeah, interesting things there. I'm fascinated by what happens to Roman. Obviously there's the subtext about how Logan was probably most abusive towards him. And then that leads to Roman being just desperate for his love, despite acting like he doesn't need it, uh, throughout this series. But also he has shown the ability to be more savvy than his siblings, uh, in certain moments. I mean, just by the fact that he's playing, was playing both sides towards the end of Logan's life. I mean, he was just keeping options open for himself. But my answer to your question about what happens at this end game and like where did the Roy siblings and uh, others find themselves, I think it's whatever happens with his acquisition leads to Matson pushing them further down uh, the road than there already are. And they just continue to look like the hapless, unserious losers that Logan's. Logan th- said they were, despite his love for them. So that's kind of where I see this trending. And, and and there's no winners. And maybe people like Tom ingratiates himself to whatever new regime comes along. The old guard and the, the Carolinas and the Franks and the Jerrys and the Carls find a way like cockroaches to just stay alive within whatever this organization becomes. But it's no winning for the Roys by name, but the Roys in spirit and in ruthlessness find a way to persevere. The thing with Matson is I don't know. Matson buying out the company is the easy way out for the Roy's. Mm-hmm. Even if the value drops. And I just don't know if this show is going to give them the easy way out now. And I think if their father was alive long enough that they buy Pierce and you know, they're in opposition to the old company and their father says influence there. That would be a different thing. And I think that's still a tough path. But I think with the path having been cleared for them, I think I don't know. I'm I'm gonna monitor that one and I think it's been widely documented that Matson is based on Elon Musk, and I think the read on Musk is probably good enough that it seems like Matson is pretty unpredictable. And honestly, whatever happens from here. Who knows? Who knows? Um, what I would say in a few others, honestly, of the siblings, the person I like right now most to come out on top and to be most together is Ken. Like Kendall Roy, as wild as it sounds, is probably the best suited and the best equipped to lead whatever this company or the next company or whatever it is, um, whatever proves to be. Part of that, I don't think Roman is that savvy. I think his final return to Logan, ultimately being, again, he's like this kind of child that was being neglected over and over. um, Or this dog that someone was kicking and the dog just keeps coming back for more because for him to go back to Logan and for Logan to very intentionally give him the task, like the final kind of, their final interactions generally are uh, interesting, but 
for his final instructions from his dad to be, yeah, fire Jerry. Like, that's that's really getting at Roman in a way, which was reinforcing the power dynamic. The fact that he actually went through with it, although he probably never said that, made it all the worse for fumbling his words. I think Jerry is going to be on the rise because she's going to have that at her disposal. She's going to have that over Roman. And immediately the fact that she was fired by Roman earlier in the day. And then when that conversation about, you know, can the plane circle? How long have we got? The kids are turning to Jerry and it's Jerry. What can we do? And of of that crew, <laughs> of your Franks and your Carls, I think there's no doubt that Jerry is the pick of the bunch. Um, the person who has proved to be maybe the most competent at her job. Deft. Yeah. Um, hands have generally stayed as clean as anyone, although Logan was going to pin Cruz's on her to get rid of her, um, which we all know who Cruz's actually belongs to, and I think that's that's definitely something that Tom has got to continue to worry about. But I'm going to be watching out for Jerry. I think of the siblings, Kendall is the one. And I think if we're looking outside of the family, I don't think Lucas Matson is going to... We're going to get a couple of flashy episodes. He may pop up here and there. He's obviously central to what's going to happen. I don't think he is essentially the star of the show or we're going to see so much of him that he's going to dictate what happens next. We may see some more of the pierces because that deal is going to either fall through or have to be renegotiated. But I think we're going to see quite a bit of Stewie and Sandy. And I, I think they are the people oh, yeah. outside of the family. They're board members. Don't forget, too, um, within the company that Stewie is just so far ahead of all of the Roy siblings and basically just bullies them and has since season one in a variety of different ways. I'm curious to see how, as a block, Stewie and Sandy um, use their power. And I guess with this, then you've got all these kind of subsets where Sandy was very much kind of open to the idea of Shiv, and even this season we have seen again the attempts to make Shiv their ally. Um, With the Pierces, there was that idea, until Shiv kind of blew some of it up, that there'd be a similar dynamic there. Really, it's, it's Kendall who kind of has the in to the Pierce family to some degree. You've got all these kind of different kind of points where to break off, which we're going to see I think in reality, the kids need to stay together if they have any chance. And I'm pretty confident they're all going to start plotting against each other and that won't happen. So I don't, I honestly don't know where this will end up for the company, what companies. But the fact that even like in a very brief spell of time, we can just plot out all of these different people and all of the different ways. Like this is, again, a show you didn't watch, Jordan, but. Funnily enough, from a HBO perspective, this has now kind of come full circle to the final two seasons of Game of Thrones, where every week it was like, who's going to end up in the Iron Throne? And you've got the same kind of scenario where people are going through all these different characters and trying to work out, and you don't have all this kind of magical, mythical lore that's going to factor into it. Um, but I think I, I think I know who's going to 
Who's going to do it then? Go on. Bran. He's going to he's gonna take over Waste Early Cup? Yep. Just when you least expect it. What was the phrase from the... If it isn't Bran or something, there's something like that. I can't remember. I was... I, I was hoping we get like a, a Stewie Josh Aronson strategy weekend on Martha's Vineyard or something episode at some point in the next few, but I don't think that's coming. I just don't think they're getting Brody it. back. I don't think they're getting yeah, Brody I, Yeah, he's probably got a Wes Anderson movie to do or something. He has exactly that. I, I believe he has a few other things in the works. I have not heard mention of him at all for this season. So fortunately, I just don't think. I think that was one undone. They're doing well to have Skarsgård like just pop up every now and then i'm sure all of his stuff was shot in a very very condensed period of time um out of sequence to be able to do that but yeah i i'd love some more brody in the mix i just don't think we're gonna get it i can't find that phrase i have no idea what you're talking about there was like a phrase that they said to said because i watched the last episode just the Um, last episode uh, parts of season one and then the last episode. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, but there was something of like along the lines of like, if it isn't, if no one can do it, then Bran can or something like that. I can't remember what it was. That is um, there, uh, not how they spoke in Game of Thrones, but let's go and if no one can do it. Then I don't Bran. know. It's, it was very folksy. There's another element that I mentioned briefly in one of you guys might have mentioned uh and i was probably doing that thing where i'm trying to think of my own point while others are talking because as human beings in society in general uh we only think about like what we're thinking about so if i missed one of you guys uh saying this it, way saying you weren't lot. listening to us Is this... uh no 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 no. that's just saying if that happened when i was like uh anxietying over a point uh i was just putting that out there the looming presidential election over the end of uh this season is something that i'm fascinated by we have the uh the far right candidate that's been backed by atn essentially right and then what is what does their coverage look like and you know connor's rise adam where is he pulling votes from who knows that could be a fascinating wrinkle to the last few episodes i i think connor is going to get to like two or three percent i think he's going to do about as well as any you know, independent ever does in the U.S. He is an independent, right? Uh, I think so. Or I, it, it would be like Connor to make up his own party Libertarian. name. Yeah, uh, who knows what he's what he's running as? But uh, the yeah, Connor's campaign is about to have a jolt of lightning. Good point. <laughs> Jordan, do you have something? You were muted there, and you're still muted. He might have broken his microphone. He's slapping it. Just play by play for everyone at home. There he is. We can hear you. Um, I long joke that's poorly told. I was saying that he's running as the everyman. That's his party. That's his platform now. He wants to. He wants to get a blood on faces. He wants oh, to go into a bar, a bar where he's not even sure, or Shiv's not even sure if they have a house red wine uh, ready to go. <laughs> Blood on faces is a popular political platform these days, so you know, maybe, maybe mm. that will work out for him. Um, have we got any other thoughts? 
Anything else on the episode we want to cover? I mean, I, I guess the one thing that we probably didn't touch on is the show is always very, very well made. And this was an exceptionally well made episode of TV. Um, Mark Mylod does an incredible job directing most of the signature episodes of Succession. He did it again here. Makes it all the more puzzling for me that he comes out of Succession and he directs the menu. Um, but with good material, anything is possible. Jordan, are you not aware of that? Well, that's no, I was not. Um, what, I, what audibly... I actually had, you know, expectations, hopes for that movie. I laughed out loud when I saw his name and Sarah was like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, he directed the menu. This is going to be great for the podcast. <laughs> He's a great succession director. Like, yeah, fantastic. Um, but he also be working with a bigger budget with succession than he is with the menu. <laughs> I'm guessing yeah, over the course of a season. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to guess so at this mm. point, but I mean, also he helped to shape it, but succession has, a house style at this point. Yeah. And it has a look and it has a feel and it has rules you gotta play by. And he helped to shape them, but he also sots into it great and the understanding of how to play I guess of how to get the right visual style for the content is something that they continue to do an exceptional job of. It's the kind of thing that not a lot of thought goes into on television, as I always shout from my particular mountaintop over here. Um Lots of great writing on that this week and on how they executed the scene. I guess not that the scene was a warner, but they did do a single 28 minute take, despite the fact they shot on film with reels that could shoot for up to 10 minutes before needing to be changed. Um, so multiple cameras, cameramen swapping in and out, but the idea behind it being that. Not to not to capture it in a one take way, but to have the actors go through it in real time, so that if Kendall is going to get Shiv and Roman is left having just been told that their dad has died, that Karen Culkin was standing there for the time it took for Kendall to go and get Shiv and bring Shiv back, and that they could feel the reality of that. I mean, some of that does factor into how the whole thing looks. But it's a level of attention to detail in terms of performances that plays out really well. Adam Naiman actually had a great piece at The Ringer today, breaking down 10 of his favorite shots from the episode. and really just showing, again, just how smart Mark Mylod was in terms of a lot of his framing and blocking decisions and tying in larger elements of the show. But also the things that are very specific to this episode, whether it be things that are being foreshadowed right from the jump, um, to kind of that kind of neat mirroring of key moments in previous episodes, like they just get it. Like Succession is so well made, it is so well put together, and in a way that is not showy, in a way that I think is essential for it being the level of hit it is, because your average Joe is just not going to notice anything about how it's made, like literally nothing. Um, they might have a vague, vague sense of what the style of the show looks like and that it's kind of handheld and it can be a bit juddery and the cuts aren't always the sharpest cuts. That might be somewhere in their brain, but I don't know if even most people would be verbalizing that in a way where a show that is really kind of flashy visually, that wouldn't be the thing. But it's got the right, all of the decisions stylistically have been the right ones for this show from the jump. So, you know, I tip my hat to the menus, Mark Mylod, to, you know, 
Adam McKay, a favorite of mine, who of course shot the pilot and uh, executive produced the series, got the whole thing up and running. All my favorites, they did an incredible job in shaping succession. And I think as a team, writers, directors, everyone who's come in along the way, they've done an excellent job of getting into a place where, you know, episodes like this come around and it's everything just hums. It's every decision is right what it needs to be it's kind of a perfect tv show in that way which should not be underestimated and that filmmaking helps pull those performances out of the actors that that they gave in that moment like you said about them having to experience it in real time um this is uh the emmy reel footage for any of the people that are gonna get uh nominated for this season uh of television Uh, i think you know, and this is very a scientific way to figure this out. Is I saw Sarah Snook trending after the episode, so I think she's the leader in the clubhouse for the Emmy for that scene. Um, uh, but yeah, like you said, Kieran Culkin, uh, the, just the way they that kind of filmmaking and the moments that we're being thrust into, and we get to see the different types of grief on different people's faces. Um, was just really effective. I mean, we talk about these characters as, uh, you know, they're bad people to a large extent just by the fact of the world that they live in and, like, what their company is largely responsible for in the world. Yet, I found myself getting, like, a little emotional at just the idea of people having to watch in real time or learn and feel so... Uh, useless in the wake of their father's death and you're trying to piece together information you don't know if what Tom's saying is right if he's sugarcoating or whatever it is and I think just that that stretch and that filmmaking uh, in that episode really just heightened the emotional stakes of Logan's death in a way where it didn't have to be him clutching his chest at ATN or something like that like you said it's off to the side Logan's the son in the universe and now the focus is on everyone else and to have it off to the side off camera happen and then just see him uselessly having his chest compressed and then under a sheet and the focus just thrown on the people that are left in the wake of his death uh, the way it's all just handled uh, was so good and everything you said about uh, the filmmaking is True, I'm sure, because I'm Joe Popcorn, so I'm not thinking about those things in the moment. And uh, that Adam Adam Naiman piece is great, by the way, as well. Favorite performances from our favorite performance. Let's narrow it down. Let's make you pick one. I'm not giving Jordan Tresky any room to wiggle here. Um, from this episode, because you mentioned like Sarah Snook, trying. I think everyone's great, and I've seen lots of people be like, "This is the one," and. My personal one was different to what a lot of people said, so I'm curious if we if we go around the three of us here, are we coming with consensus or have we got different answers? Jordan, we'll go to you first. Um, favorite performance. I just well before I answer that, I'm gonna do a favorite line because I love it so much that it was in my head all day yesterday after watching it. Um, Tom's live. That's what I introduced Andrew as earlier. I know. It makes me laugh so much because he's like, it's right after he, Carrie goes on this, like, she's clearly in shock and she's like smiling, kind of elated, but like, you know, something happened. 
you know, you just saw um, the person that she was in a relationship with uh, die. <laughs> and uh, she's just very going through it. And they're like, Brian, like, talk her and it's like, we're going to take care of business. Why don't you go in the, the back room or whatever? And she's like, okay, okay. And not really responding to it. And they have to like kind of reassure her again. Then eventually she walks towards that part of the plane and then Tom is immediately like, what the fuck is going on? And then his line is like, she's acting like she just caught a foul ball at Yankee Stadium. Just made me laugh really loudly in the comfort of my own home. Um, Favorite performance, I would say uh, Kieran Culkin, Roman, because it actually made him like a human. Um, Roman could be very grating to watch because it's a very just like I'm not saying that it's one note but it's like he it's so interesting watching like the kids I'm just going to keep calling the, the kids even though they're not older than, or they are older than me um, they you can expect like how they will react and this episode kind of reinforced that to a big degree. But like Roman, any episode, it's like, yeah, he's going to say the same things over and over again. Uh, just replace which genitalia he's talking about or F word. You know, <laughs> I mean, like, it's like, yeah, I kind of get it after a while. Like, it's which just was kinda Jerry's like... when, when he goes, I'm pretty sad. Yes. Or actually, it was even earlier. Was when she, it was when earlier. He yeah. first uh, meets her and he... Like, you're not going to say something about penises or maybe vaginas? Yeah. Which it, that I, kind of does cover the full spectrum of Roman. And it, I think, too, like, the what's interesting about him the last couple episodes, and certainly since they everything happened in Italy, is that he kind of is not just towing the party line. He's actually kind of, like, looking out for his own interests, but also what's best for what position that he is stoked or, you know, uh, carved out for himself. That's the phrase I'm looking for. So to see kind of Roman not just be like off to the side and doing his like <laughs> like little sticky kind of thing like that kind of thing. Um, it was just kind of reinforcing to say like, oh, he's can have human feelings even though he feels the most alien. Even though his attempt to hug Connor involves him stooping Very... over and hugging his lower arm. My kind of hug. That's my kind of <laughs> hug right there. Uh, I'm going Matthew McFadden, Tom Wom's game. Uh, the the subtlety in which he's playing everything in this episode, I think, is tremendous. When he's on the phone, just calmly, after clearly being in shock, replaying what has just happened uh, on the plane and giving them sugar-coated information. And then when Kendall asks, "Is he okay?" and he, or "Is he good?" and he's like, he, "He's not okay. He he's he's not good." And just like that, continued delivery. And then, obviously, uh, it kind of peaks for me when he's got his own moment of privacy in the separate room, and he's on the phone with Greg trying to get his ducks in a row, and he he laughs to keep from crying to Greg and tells him that at the end of the day, Logan was just an old guy who fucking hated you. And then we see him just kind of like shaken with the impact of the moment and then I think this is partially just down to the fact that he's tall but the physicality of him just embracing Shiv after her mini press conference and just the quietness of that moment and all the baggage and 
damage that that relationship has gone through. Uh, I think that performance was the one that I was most interested in, uh, even if uh, Kieran Culkin and Jeremy Strong and uh, Sarah Snook got to like really uh, play the the grief at instruments. <laughs> I'm going with Alan Rook. I'm going with Khan. I knew you were going to say it. I know I was really like struck and moved by I think his performance in this episode is absolutely fantastic and I just think one he is literally the forgotten Roy child so everyone does this anyway but two it's just kind of like he's almost he's he's billed as a regular but he might as well be a guest star on the show and he's just this kind of bombastic like jokey character in a way where he doesn't even get like Roman's moments where we do see Roman be genuinely vulnerable honestly quite often like yeah he might behave not like any other human that anyone's ever known but we get to see him kind of go through human emotions it feels like pretty regularly like Connor's just on another planet like for the entire show and I, I thought there was something about his reaction, one, his kind of immediate, oh, well, he always hated me, like, and to then some real emotion, to then the kind of range of emotions that he goes through from the start of the episode over the wedding to the end of the web episode when he actually gets married. And I thought ultimately it being called Connor's Wedding. I was like, fuck, yeah, this is Connor's episode. I really, I, I just think Alan Rook doesn't, and maybe it's also because of like who Alan Rook is and the roles he's best associated with and how people view him as an actor, that he kind of comes in and he fits so perfectly into Connor and everyone's like, God, Connor's great for some laughs here or there. And you've got con heads. It's just like every every character in this show is a meme character to some extent, but it feels like just how good his performance is actually gets lost and i thought he got to do more on this episode where it wasn't just oh we're bringing him in for his two scenes to be completely his own guy to laugh i i found a lot of his scenes to actually be genuinely quite touching and to also have moments where i'm like like is he actually the most normal is he is he the most sane he certainly felt the most liberated if that makes sense yeah, and I mean that. Or I mean, the his or, cake meltdown early on, and we hear why yeah. he's meltdown over the cake too. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess, the, I guess that guy should probably be liberated um, by Logan's death. But I just, I, I really thought he was given something to chew on, where there's more to his performance than he usually gets, and he delivered. And yet there was still that Connor energy. Like I, I think the balance of all of that, it's so different than what his characters had to face. Like. I think Jeremy Strong is phenomenal in this episode. None of us have mentioned Kendall. I think it's a really strong Kendall episode. But at the same time, it's not like none of us have seen Kendall have to go through something emotional at this point. You know, we've we've seen a lot of that. We've seen this kind of happen over and over again. Um, so very sincerely, you might say you knew it. You knew it. I I think Alan Rook's performance was fantastic in this episode. I mean, it shouldn't go overlooked in just the way that everyone forgets about Connor. His name's on the episode. He's despite his like emotional gut gut punch reaction to he never liked me in the immediacy of finding out the news. He actually had the most rational rational not rational is not a word uh, rational like coming to terms with his own mortality and getting the news because he goes and has that honest conversation with Willa and just like lays cards on the table about what their marriage is what their relationship is and then 
you know, at the point in his life that he's in after seeing his father just die, just kind of has that acceptance of, well, if this isn't exactly how you would draw it on paper, but if we're both happy, I'm going to be happy about that. And we're going to go and we're going to get married. And I think that's the way Alan Ruck, to your point, portrays just like that su- uh, subtle kindness and just like acceptance. Like he, it's a good point that he is often and maybe for reasons because of how his character is portrayed in the show, the, <laughs> the forgotten Roy. Um, but like. I'm also. Yeah, I'm not know. saying we should take him really seriously. Like next week when he's pushing whatever. Oh no no no! He's gonna. But I. I just think it is interesting because, like, to your point too about him having like that quite genuine and sincere and earned. Oh, my father just died. What does this like? I need to take stock of my own life. I'm about to get married. What does that mean? Let's talk about that. Like Shiv's response to hearing the news is something along the lines of, "This can't happen to me." Like, yeah, pretty sure it happened to Logan. You know. I think that's kind of a telling difference too. And like in lots of ways, Khan is the most self-centered of all the characters. And he certainly lives in his own world more than maybe anyone else, but maybe not in a way that's as detached from, you know, the kind of folk with blood in their faces who go and they, they drink house red wines in a dingy bars, like the very nice bar he walked into in New York. Next week, he's going to have a command that are set up to how to take advantage of the momentum off of this. You just know it. <laughs> also, uh, that that seems like the kind of bar that uh, we would go into in Milwaukee together. I don't know. It kind of seems similar. Not the kind of Numak would take us to. I mean, Connor, no. if Connor really wants to see some things, he needs to call up Numak and Numak will take him to Wolski's. Are you ready for my joke? Are you ready? Sure. Part, Always. Part of the screechy voice. You back. That's my ACDC Thunderstruck Alan Ruck. <laughs> I'm glad you explained it. Didn't hear it. Your voice went so high that I don't know if Andrew had oh. the same problem, but the recording literally just went silent for a second. So I, I just went. F- no, I just no. went full. I look forward to seeing that waveform, Jordan. One of these days, like... you're going to learn about what audio does, how it works, what's good for podcasts and not. I feel like Jason Bateman when he found the pigeon in the freezer in Arrested Development. I don't know what I expected. <laughs> All right. This won't be our last conversation about succession. Um, we may make it, a, honestly, a weekly thing where when we're talking about other things, we set aside 10 or 15 minutes. If not that, certainly maybe two or three episodes from now, we'll check in again. And by the end of the show, there'll be another episode guaranteed very excited to see how things keep going so to make sure you don't miss any more succession talk in the pod and also for anything else pop culture for movies which is our our regular it's our general week to week subscribe wherever you get your podcasts make time for this of course you should also subscribe to the rest of the gspn shows too we've got the eurostep podcast network main feed home to two milwaukee books podcasts on one feed Eurostep, hosted by Ty Windish and Rowan Cuddy. And Win at Six, hosted by Jordan Tresky and Adam McGee. That's us. Two of the three of us here on this episode. You'll hear us there, talking about the books. Uh, next time the books play, it will be a playoff game. So, if you're looking for some Milwaukee Books podcast, looking for some place to get all of your books playoff talk, Eurostep Podcast Network, that seems like a good one. Cruiser for Bruising, home for all things Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, seven and three, 
Is that what we're at? Seven and three. Yeah. At the time of recording. Of, uh... I mean, probably by the time most people listen to this, there'll be another there'll be another one going one way or another on that. But um Brewers have started season really well. They are young, they are fast, they're exciting. I mean, three adjectives that I'm sure Ty Windish would use to describe you and I, Andrew, if he was to ever have us on the Eurostep. And that's that's fitting because we are the hosts of Cruising for a Bruising. So if you want more from Andrew and I, plus you want to hear Major League Baseball talk, Milwaukee Brewers talk, Cruising for a Bruising is the home for that. Last but by no means least, Jordan Tresky's got another podcast too. Can we call it your podcast? I don't know if we can because you share it with the, I don't know what we call him, the walking hurricane of a man that is Numak. Your co-host on Talk of the Tundra, covering all things Green Bay Packers, a true force of nature. I don't have we got uh, this is uh, he's going to listen to this too, so we should have this conversation so he can hear it. And then he, have we got force of nature, Numak, on the pod yet? Do you think he's still he's still settling into being a podcast host? Uh, like, have we got standing up at Pfizer Forum screaming for T-shirts, Numak? Have we got, managed to get that guy out yet? No. Knowing him in person is such a different experience than listening mm-hmm. to him on a podcast or even being on a Zoom with him. I mean, this man was catching T-shirts like it was nothing, shouting for T-shirts. He had a sleeve of cookies on the console of his truck. He took us to... And uh, it is a truck, let me tell you. Yeah. yeah, like, he's he's also can probably touch the rim without jumping on a 10-foot regulation NBA goal. And... uh. He he took us to a, a bar in Milwaukee that was a hundred percent my speed. He's the all time uh just like good good vibes guy. Me and him were like Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger in that movie. Uh <laughs> in that bar. Junior? Yeah. Uh I, I was Danny DeVito, if anyone's wondering. Uh but yeah. Jordan, you can speak to it more because you see him just so often, but like the people that listen to Talk of the Tundra here, you like you don't know what you're missing. It's scratching the surface. Um, we'll get it there. We'll get we, there. We, that's see, I'm putting it out of here because I know he's gonna listen, and I hope he's gonna. He's probably not gonna be happy that we're having this conversation, but this He'll is me prodding. Mid he's gonna Oreo, gonna choke on to an this. Oreo. No, you know, on the drive home. He's, um, he's just waiting. He's waiting for the door to be unleashed that Aaron Rodgers has finally left Green Bay, and all uh, circumstances. It's probably coming soon, you'd imagine. Uh, right. Uh, so if you want everything, Packers, you want to be right on top of all things Aaron Rodgers. And if you want to hear when, you know, it becomes Numak, tune in to Talk of the Tundra and you won't be disappointed. You can also find us at joinrepod.com forward slash make time for this. If you want a new place to listen to all your favorite podcasts, all of those GSPN pods I just mentioned, you can listen to them there if you want. If you want to chat up with the hosts, you can go to joinrepod.com forward slash make time for this. Go to our room. If you have any thoughts in succession, comment under the episode. Go back and forth. Let us hear what you think. If you're into that, you can also get in the Discord. GSPN.info gets you a link to our Discord, link to everything else we do. And trust me, we do a lot. That's pretty much all of it for now. Until next time, thanks as always to all of you for listening.
Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, guys.